I remember from a really young age uh, thinking on the days that we celebrated communion in church that I needed to take it more seriously. And uh, probably from about the age of, of eight years old, I remember sitting in my seat and thinking, Something just doesn't feel right about this. Uh, my attitude doesn't feel right, and, and the attitude of, of these people that I'm sitting next to doesn't feel right. And, uh, and to be honest, uh, just because I felt that way doesn't mean that anything changed. But I remember thinking that from, from a really, really young age. And as the years went on, I, uh, I, I began to, to take it more seriously. But, but, I, but I still, I guess, uh, for years didn't really understand why I should take it more seriously. And it seems like uh, when I look at churches and, and when I've been part of communion celebrations at churches, it seems like something is, is lacking. It seems like there's a seriousness missing. It seems like uh, there, there's just something that should be there that isn't there. And I think uh, that maybe this comes because we really don't understand all that that is encompassed in the communion celebration. When we take uh, a piece of bread and, and, and a cup of grape juice or wine and, and we, we drink that, and we don't really get all that it, that it means. And at eight years old, I, you know, for me, it, I was excited to get juice. I, I knew that, uh, that it should be more than that, but, but that's all I really got. It's the day that we got some juice and, and, a, and a little dry cracker. I wished it was a Ritz, but it wasn't. And, uh, and so that was, that's what I knew, you know, and, and, I, and I knew Jesus and I, I I, I kind of knew what it symbolized, but that, that was its meaning for me. And today what I want to look at uh, is, is the meaning of, of communion. And communion has many different names, and, and you've probably heard it called other things. But, but today I'm just going to go with the Lord's Supper, because the Lord's Supper uh, was where communion, as we call it in our church, was instituted. It's where it began. And Jesus, on uh, the very last night that he was going to spend with his disciples, was celebrating the Passover meal. And during that Passover meal, he takes a piece of bread and a cup, something that would have been a part of the Passover meal in general, uh, and he reapplies them to himself. And so, uh, so today what I want to look at is, is really just the symbolism of the Lord's Supper. And I think what will happen as we see this symbolism is we will hopefully be able to take communion more seriously because we'll understand really what it's about uh, more. Now, uh, the Lord's Supper is talked about specifically in four different passages of Scripture, and and you can you can open there, but we're going to be flipping around a little bit. But Matthew twenty six twenty six through twenty nine, Mark fourteen twenty two through twenty five, Luke twenty two fourteen through twenty, and First Corinthians eleven twenty three through twenty six. And the first thing that you need to recognize when you talk about the the Lord's Supper and 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 you start to try to figure out its meaning is that the cup has quite a bit more biblical symbolism uh, than the bread. And so the first thing I think we need to look at is, is really what does the Bible say that the cup represents? And, and it has three major meanings in the New Testament. And the first is uh, that it is a cup of sorrow. In Luke 22, 39 through through 44, Jesus, after the the communion meal, after the first Lord's Supper, he goes out to, to a garden, and, and it says this here. Jesus went out to his usual place at the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching that place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now you notice there that it says, take this cup 
from me. He's praying and he, he recognizes what he's about to go through on the cross. And he prays to God, his Father in heaven, hey, please take this cup from me. And what he is talking about is the sorrow and the pain that he is going to face within the next several hours of his life. And so the first thing that we see is represented in the cup of communion is the sorrow that Jesus endured on the cross. We see that Jesus recognized the pain that he was going to have to go through uh, on our behalf, and the cup symbolizes that pain. Now, we know because we, we know the story after he says this, what, what takes place, but he's arrested just shortly after this prayer for the cup to be taken, and, and, and he's beaten over and over and over again, and, and then he is whipped, and then he is uh, beaten some more, and then he is put up on the cross where he dies, and he endures the most painful death that the world has ever known. Not, not the most painful physical death, other people have been beaten and crucified, but the most painful death because it was emotionally and spiritually uh, for our sins. He, he was really paying for everything that you have ever done wrong in your life. And so the communion cup, the Lord's Supper cup, symbolizes that sorrow that Jesus was going to endure on our behalf. It was also a cup of promise. In Luke 22, 20, it says this, In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Likewise, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, it says, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of of me. And so what Jesus is saying here is, hey, there's a new promise that is, in essence, what a covenant is. There's a new promise that is being instituted in me. Now, if you go back uh, to the book of Exodus, Exodus 24, 8, you would see the first covenant, the covenant to the Jewish people made. And there the covenant was made through the death of an animal and the sprinkling of that animal's blood. And Jesus comes on the scene and, and he's about to go and die and he says, look, this cup that you take symbolizes the death that I am about to die that brings in a new promise. And Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, talks about this promise. He says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And we see in other places that that is applied not just to the Jewish people, but to all of humanity universally. And so Jesus, as he's talking about this cup, says, look. There used to be animal sacrifices that represented this old promise that I made to the Israelites when I made them a nation after bringing them out of, out of Egypt and the slavery that they were under there. But now I am going to be the sacrifice. So there no longer needs to be an animal sacrifice. I am going to be that sacrifice that represents and brings in the new covenant, the new promise that allows for people to enter into an eternal relationship with God. And so in the cup that we take during communion, we, we see all of the promises that we have in the Bible for us wrapped up in, in just that one moment of drinking it. The promise of eternal life. The promise of a relationship with God. The promise of our sins being taken from us once and for all. The promise of God's favor and love and mercy and grace for all of us. It's all represented in the little cup of grape juice that we take when we celebrate communion 
or the Lord's Supper. One author said it this way, uh, It is a sign of the new covenant sealed in his death and his resurrection that constitute the new Israel of God as the heir of the impending kingdom. Represents all of the promises that we have. It is also a cup of joy. Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine, the cup, from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Luke, talking about the Passover meal, adds the bread to this, and he says, For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Now, in order to understand this, you need to understand the way that that Jesus' second coming is represented throughout the New Testament. It is represented as a a giant banquet or a wedding reception, to say in in our words today, a, a wedding ceremony. And so, throughout the New Testament, we see... Jesus and the writers represent the second coming when everything will be good forevermore for those who have accepted Christ, represented as a giant wedding party. Uh, Revelation 19.9 says, Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. And so the Bible says that when Jesus comes back, if we've accepted his gift of salvation through the death that he suffered on that cross and the promises that were made there, then we get to celebrate like people celebrated at at weddings. And that is, if you know other cultures, far more than than what we do when we spend a couple hours uh, after our weddings today. It's a a grand celebration. And, And this is talked about other places. Jesus tells a parable of ten virgins. And some of those virgins are ready with their lamps stands lit for the wedding banquet and others aren't and so some get to go and others do not and in Luke 14 he talks about people being invited to this feast but rejecting it and so so the king or the person inviting excuse me goes out and he brings other people in and that's representative of the Jewish people rejecting Jesus and and us Gentiles being allowed to be brought into that wedding feast and in Luke 14:15 it says when one of those at the table with him heard this he said to Jesus blessed is the one who who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus paints this picture of, of his second coming, and he says it is going to be this glorious event where we celebrate for all of eternity and have a good time together because the final uh, everything has been consummated at that moment, and you will live in eternal bliss if you have accepted my gift of the cross. And so when Jesus says, I will not drink of this cup again until that moment, he is saying to us, this cup represents not only my death, Not only the promises that you have, but the joy that will come when the promises are fulfilled in eternity. And when you drink that cup, you should remember that you won't drink it with Jesus until Jesus comes back and sets everything right in this world. It is a cup of joy. And so when we celebrate communion, we don't just celebrate what Jesus did and the promises that we have, but we celebrate joy and the joy that that we can look forward to when everything is perfect because Jesus has come back. But beyond the cup, the the, the supper as a whole, uh, and I use the word supper because that is how it is most often referred. Uh, but supper, the supper as a whole, has has some deep theological meanings for us and, and Jesus and his disciples at the time. Uh, first of all, uh, it is a supper of communion, and that is why we call it communion. And communion in the English language uh, means this, because it's not a word we use a lot. It means possession or sharing in common or participation. And so we call it communion because we recognize that in communion, in the celebrating of the Lord's Supper, we are connecting and sharing with one another in the the meal that we are partaking 
of. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16, it says, And is this, excuse me, and is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Now, the word participation there is a Greek word that is koinonia. And most of the time when koinonia is translated or talked about, it is a reference to fellowship, what we call fellowship. Now, in our modern context, we use the word fellowship for any time that we get together and hang out. If it's two Christians, we call it fellowship, even if we're watching a football game, right? Uh, but the Bible does not paint that picture at all. I'm sorry. It's still good to watch football together, uh, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that, that fellowship, this koinonia word, is really a sharing in our relationship with Jesus together. And so if I if I say, hey, how, how is it going in, in your relationship with the Lord? And you start talking about it and we have a conversation. That's fellowship. If I say, hey, you know what? You really need to, to work on this in your life because I, Jesus wouldn't like that. And I, and I do that out of love. That, that is the biblical idea of fellowship. But here in 1 Corinthians, Paul, Paul says, look, part of that fellowship, part of sharing in your relationship with Jesus together... It is taking the communion bread and cup with one another. And so as you take this bread and this cup together, it is connecting you to the body of Christ in a very real way. Now, Paul uses the body of Christ in two ways throughout his writings. In Romans 7, 4, it says, So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to one another, to him who was raised from the dead. And so the first way Paul uses body of Christ is for the literal body of Christ. Jesus died on a cross and that allows you to enter into a relationship with him. That is the body of Christ. The other way he uses is you can see in Ephesians 4:11 and 12. So Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith. And so he uses it as a representation of the church. And so when Paul says that, that this breaking of the bread is a participation in the body of Christ, he is saying that when we take this communion cup and this communion bread, we are in a very real way connecting ourselves to the people that we are celebrating it with and to God himself in that moment. We are saying, I am connected to Jesus through what he did on the cross, and I am connected to these other people who celebrate it with me because they believe the same thing. The early church understood this, and it was actually the driving force behind their communion celebration. And so when they took the bread in the cup, they would have a whole meal surrounding it that they would call a, a love feast. And, and they, would, they would come together and they would eat these big meals together. And in the middle of it somewhere, they would stop to, to do what we do in communion. Uh, and then they would continue hanging out and, and having a good time together. And that is why Paul is so angry in 1 Corinthians 11, where we read one of the most extensive passages on, on communion in the Bible, or the Lord's Supper. And it's because there were open divisions in the church. So these people are coming together to have a love feast and celebrate something that, that we can really call communion. And, and there was open divisions. People didn't like each other. They weren't talking to each other. They were yelling at each other. Also, people were totally disregarding the needs and the feelings of others. So the rich would come with their nice meals and they'd watch the poor people sit in a corner and not eat and they just didn't care. And, and beyond that, people would get drunk and, and they were really partying it up as individuals when they showed up, not as a, a group as a whole. I would hope that a whole church would not choose to get drunk together, right? And, and so it's frustrating to Paul because Paul looks at the communion meal, the, the Lord's Supper, and he says this is a meal of communion. This is a supper of communion where it's supposed to unite 
invite us to each other and to Christ. But that isn't happening here in the church of Corinth. And so when we take this bread and this cup that we'll take in a few moments, we are really saying, and, and, and not just saying, but really connecting ourselves to the people who celebrate it with us and to God himself. It is also a supper of thanksgiving. You have heard the term Eucharist. Eucharist was a, a, a term that the, that the early church used for the Lord's Supper and is a term that uh, Catholicism still uses for the Lord's Supper today. And sometimes I think we, you know, if it's Catholic, then we don't want it. And so we say, well, we're not ever going to talk about the Eucharist. But, but Eucharist is, is a simple word that, that means thanksgiving. And, and the reason that it was called this in the early church and, and was, is called this today in Catholicism is that Jesus said a prayer right before he took uh, the bread and the cup and passed it out. In Matthew 26, 26, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he, he, he passed it out to them. Matthew 26, 27, in the same way, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks. And so in this moment that represents Jesus' uh, sacrifice on the cross and all the promises and, and all the hope and the future that we have and the joy that we can look forward to and this connection to each other, Jesus pauses and he says a prayer of thanksgiving. We don't know what Jesus said he was thankful for, but, but it's really easy to understand why the communion cup and bread should draw us to thanksgiving today. And that is because we recognize that, that in Jesus' death that this represents his body and his blood. He sacrificed for us. It is very clear when he says that he died for the many that really uh, what it means in the Greek context is that he died for all people when he went to the cross. And so it represents that and we should be thankful for that. But on top of that, in Matthew, we see that it was for the forgiveness of sins that he broke his body and that he poured out his blood. And this connects him to the suffering servant of the Old Testament. It, it, it says that Jesus is the one who is going to die for the sins of people, for our sins. And this is something to be thankful for. In Isaiah 53, we read about this uh, this suffering servant. And it's an amazing passage of Scripture that, that I read oftentimes when I celebrate communion. I think it's important for us. So Isaiah 53.5, I'll start there. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the Lord will prosper in his hand. Jesus died for us, right? He died for each of our sins. It even says that, that it was poured out for your sins in, in the passage where Jesus is giving the Lord's Supper. And we see in Isaiah uh, that represented pretty well and it looked forward to Jesus. And so as Jesus says Thanksgiving, we don't know what he was thankful for, but we know what we can be thankful for when we celebrate communion. And that is Jesus died for us. He died as a, a substitution for us so that we didn't have to spend eternity in hell, which we deserved because we 
we have done so many things that are disobedient to God. And when we celebrate the communion cup and we celebrate the communion bread, we celebrate our thanksgiving to the Lord for the fact that he gave his life for us on his cross 2,000 years ago. It is also a supper of remembrance. 1 Corinthians 11.24 says, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians 11.25 says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now I said that, that the communion cup, the Lord's Supper, was part of Passover. And what happened in Passover is really twofold. Uh, first of all, they would remember what was what took place as they were brought out of Egypt. And so if you don't know the story, the Jews were slaves in Egypt, and God looked down and said, man, I have to do something for my people because they're just getting beat up figuratively and literally down there. And so he sends these these plagues upon the Egyptians so that the people can be brought out of Egypt. And, and on the last day, he has every firstborn son of, of people in Egypt die, and finally the Jewish people are allowed to leave, the Israelites are allowed to leave and flee into the desert and and on that day he said look in the future after i deliver you before it happened before this this moment took place where the israelites were free he said look in the future i want you to look back and remember what happens uh, on this day what happens tomorrow night really if it was what god was saying and so the jewish people look back at this and they remember it and they also in the passover look forward to their coming messiah they still do that today we believe that jesus is their messiah and that they miss that but they still in passover today look forward to seeing their messiah someday and so when jesus says do this in remembrance of me in the middle of passover he's saying i want you to look back on what I have done in remembrance, and I want you to remember what I am going to do in all of those promises and remember that joy. Now, for the Jewish people, remember was was not just like what we think of as remember, like to have a mental thought about something, right? Uh, because that's what we think. I, I remember that happening, and then we kind of move on. But remember for a, a Jewish person was something greater than that. It was more than just a thought. It really was a participation in something. It was It was a thought that really changed how you acted and, and changed you even physically at points. For example, Jesus is up on the cross and he's being crucified uh, next to two, two other people, right? And one of those people is mocking him and the other one says to him, Hey Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Now we don't assume, I hope, that, that the guy was just saying, Hey, remember this moment in time where I was dying next to you. We think what he is saying is, Hey, take a thought of me. And as you think about me, bring me up there with you, right? And, and when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he isn't just saying, hey, give a thought to it. Give a passing thought to the fact that I died. He's saying, look, participate in it. Think about it so deeply that it changes you, that it inspires you, that it, that it causes you to be stirred deep down in your spirit and, and it results in your life really being changed as, as you leave this place after you celebrate uh, this cup and, and this bread. And so Jesus in this is saying, look, I want you to do it, and this is from an author, in such a way that it can no longer be regarded as wholly a thing absent or past, but present and powerfully present. In the Lord's Supper then, and uniquely in the Lord's Supper, the death of Christ is made so vivid that it is as if the Christian were standing beneath the cross. When I look back to being eight years old and I think about what was missing, it was just that. 
we were remembering, we were having mental thoughts about Jesus dying. We were singing some songs about it, and I, I knew about it. I've been a Christian since I was four. I got it. But, it. but it was just a passing thought, and we'd put the bread in our mouth, and we'd drink the cup whenever we were told to, and, and we'd move on. But we missed the deep and powerful symbolism. And truth is, I haven't even given you all the symbolism that, that, that I learned about. Uh, and, and I'm sure that I can never grasp fully the symbolism. I mean, there's other things. Like, Jesus gives us life, life-giving nourishment, right, at the cross. And it represents faith. And it's a proclamation of what Jesus did on the cross. And, and I'm sure that the symbolism could go on and on and on that we'll never fully get it. But I think if we're going to take the Lord's Supper communion seriously then we really need to, to remember some of the symbolism. We need to remember that it is, it is a cup uh, of sorrow, and it is a cup of, of, of um, joy, and it is a cup of promise. And we need to remember that the communion meal is, is a time of thanksgiving, and it's a time of connecting, and it is a time when we remember, not just a mental thought, but we really remember and are touched by what Jesus has done for us. So today we're going to celebrate that together and I'm going to say a prayer and the band's going to come up during my prayer. And usually we say, hey, get it whenever you want. Uh, But in order to stick with the symbolism of Jesus today, especially since we call it communion, right? Uh, As soon as I, as soon as they start praying and I finish my prayer, I just ask you guys all come up here. Uh, Just come up and, and get the bread and the cup together as a family. And remember in this moment you are connecting with God and with each other. And and as you sit down, take it uh, as you will as the band keeps playing and, and really just allow that symbolism to touch your life. Jesus Christ came to this earth to die on your behalf so that you can live forevermore. It's a fantastic thing and we try to celebrate all of that through a piece of bread and through a little cup of grape juice. It's, it's immense and it's powerful and it's wonderful and I hope we can take that all in today. So will you please pray with me. Father, I thank you that I get to take communion with these people, Lord. Lord, I thank you that, that you have brought me into a, a deeper relationship with these people through what you have done on that cross, God. Lord, I pray that that we as a church would not just take communion because you said to, but Lord, when we take it, it would be... It would just be serious, God. And, and God, when we someday have eight-year-olds sitting in our midst, Lord, uh, I pray that they would not realize that something is missing, but they would say, man, this moment when, when my parents and my grandparents take this bread and this cup, there's something powerful and profound about it. And, and, and I don't get it. I don't really grasp fully what it all is, but these people are excited about this, uh, this little cup of bread and cup of grape juice. And God, I pray that, that today and forevermore as we celebrate it, we would remember, God, how powerful of a symbol of what you did for us on that cross it is. Let us remember, Lord, how amazing your gift was that you would die on our behalf. You, the God of the universe, would die for us. Humanity who is sinful, who is mean, God who has struggles and doesn't have life figured out at all. You gave your life for us. And I pray that, that we would just be touched by that again today, Lord. Let us not just give a passing mental thought to your gift on the cross. But Lord, let it, let it touch us and move us forward in very real and powerful ways this morning. We love you, Lord, and we pray that we would honor you as we celebrate communion together. Amen. Will you guys come forward and take this with me?